Hey everybody, if you would do me a favor, share this, like it, and rate it. Now on to the show. At some point, we all discover something different about ourselves. It's not unique, but different. As a child, my mother's family was and is white, and her maiden name is Cleghorn. And I got to tell you, I'm so glad I didn't end up with that name. But Cleghorn is a Scottish name that I have traced as far back as the 16th century. Now, my surname at birth is Hunter. That also is Scottish, with a history going back as far as the 13th century, but obviously under the Latin version of it. Our people were keepers of the game and forest, but my grandfather, from whom I get my surname, was very white, while my grandmother, or in Choctaw, as we say, Pogany, was very dark complected. And again, my father was darker than my mother. And most kids, when I was growing up, were either white, brown, or black. Um, many parents were the same as their children, but mine were different, uh, as were my father's parents. As a child, I had an olive tone to my skin, but I didn't look too different and can pass very easily as white. But looking at my dad and paternal grandmother made me wonder why they looked different from the rest of our family. But then I'd learned that we were Choctaw. And at the time, that didn't mean all that much. Now, however, is another story. When spending time with Pogany, I occasionally heard her speak in a language on the telephone that was very foreign to me. But she was speaking in the language of our people, Choctaw Numpa. And on the reservation, her family back in Mississippi was who she was speaking with and using that language. There was an entire group of people just like her. She visited them often, and sometimes I went along with my dad and my uncle. The thing is that none of my Choctaw family ever made me feel any different. Now, obviously, my complexion was drastically different from theirs in comparison, because they were very dark complected and I wasn't. But still, I was Choctaw. I couldn't speak the language and didn't know much about our people, our history, or our culture, but that didn't change the fact that I was Marjorie's grandson and Brian's son. When I was a child, I used to beg her to teach me the language, but she'd only teach me words here or there. And I never knew why she dismissed my request as a child. I mean, after all, she would talk on the phone with relatives, and occasionally I'd hear a word that I knew. And obviously, she'd have to say some words in English, because sometimes there just are no corresponding terms in Choctaw. But she'd always get my attention when she'd mention my name, and then that was followed by laughter. Occasionally, she would hand me the phone, and I'd say hello or halito. And that was pretty much the extent of my Choctaw then. Usually it was a relative from the reservation, someone that I knew. Uh, Aunt Bessie was one of my favorites. But as far back as I can recall, we always attended powwows at Percy Priest Lake in the fall. They were the Native American Indian Association powwows, or the NAIA. And Pogany was affiliated with the organization in the 80s and 90s. And at the powwows, the drums and the dancers and overall cultural experience opens a person up to a nearly lost world. But when the Choctaw people would dance, their dress was a lot more modern in comparison to other tribes. 
The dances were simpler, almost like line dancing. The music lacked the drums and boisterous singing of the other tribes. Instead, a singer usually clapped two pieces of wood together while chanting or would chant while beating a singular drum. Choctaw looked very Americanized because the women wore dresses and the men wore pants, shirts, and a farmer's hat from the early 1900s. But the other tribes had fancy attire consisting of war bonnets, headdresses, and bustles with eagle feathers. They looked and sounded and felt more indigenous, but that's because I only knew about the stereotypical Native American. Choctaw people, why did we look like that? Admittedly, I was disappointed that my people didn't really look as I might have thought they should have, or they didn't look Indian enough. But again, our stereotypes of the Sioux, Cheyenne, Comanche, and Apache, among others, were what I believed our people should look like, but they didn't. Hollywood has given us stereotypes through Western movies, and the tribes in the West, in fact, look like that in the 1800s. The 19th century painter George Catlin painted pictures of Native Americans, among whom were Choctaw. One specific painting shows a Choctaw ball player. And this was what I would have thought our people would have looked more like at powwows. It was a painting in 1834. Uh, and I'm not going to attempt to pronounce this fellow's name. I'm working on learning Choctaw, uh, but I don't have it enough to, to really pronounce or attempt to pronounce this name. But anyway, unlike the Hollywood depictions and stereotypes, our people didn't wear war bonnets and live in teepees. That's really more of the Plains Indians of the Western United States. Our ancestors lived in Chuka, a thatched rectangular structure with a peaked roof that had open framing that would allow drafts. Powwows are Plains derivative and totem poles were not a part of our culture. Instead, the Choctaw had social dances at stickball games, something that the French co-opted and they now call lacrosse. We also had social dances at green corn ceremony and when a war party set out, as well as a wedding. We didn't start using dream catchers until the 1900s, and the clothing that I found conspicuous was adopted from the French. The Choctaw are among the five civilized tribes, and we were called that because we were more amenable to foreign ways. Because as far back as the 16th century, we encountered the Spanish, and followed by them were the French, and then the British before the birth of the United States. Some might call it assimilation, but I would prefer in this case the term be adaptation. Because whenever a person sees something that another is doing more efficiently, we'll learn from them. If we like how they dress, we'll dress that way too. So in those days, the Choctaw didn't assimilate so much as they adopted what they wanted while preserving their culture. However, adopting foreign ways resulted in welcoming peoples who wished to remove our ancestors from their land in the end. Now, when I was younger and knew about my Indian blood, I always wanted to check American Indian or Native American on any informational medical or school records but I was always told to mark Caucasian. It may seem like a very small thing, but this small thing instilled a belief that such low blood quantum, and because I'm ineligible to enroll in the tribal roles of the Mississippi Band of Choctaw, from which my lineage derives, it made me white, despite being Choctaw. 
the only things that I've mentioned before that are quantified by blood in the United States are horses, dogs, and American Indians. Now, I learned that the issue of blood quantum arose around the same time as Jim Crow laws. So to be of a particular blood quantum meant recognition on the tribal role and the benefits acknowledged in treaties. Enrollment entailed land allotments and federal assistance. Now, the myth that natives get free money for being native is just that. It's a myth. The tribe receives funds from the government based on treaties enacted in perpetuity. But still, if natives receive any monies, it's usually profit sharing from casinos and other money generating enterprises ran by the tribe, such as pipelines and other such things. But my tribe, the Mississippi Band of Choctaws, enrolls half-blood or greater according to their constitution. Now, of Choctaws, there are three federally recognized bands. There's the Mississippi Band, the Jenna Band in Louisiana, and the Choctaw Nation in Oklahoma. But we are all tied by a shared history, but independently identified as separate tribes. But before this demarcation of blood quantum and tribal status, it was determined by kinship, marriage, adoption, or even captivity. So why did the United States impose blood quantum? One historian puts it this way. Scholars have argued that the federal government devised this system in part to gradually diminish the enrolled population of Indians, assuming that intermarriage would eventually reduce a group's bloodline until they no longer qualified for enrollment, thus releasing the government from its treaty obligations. As recently as 2022, Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt demeaned natives because of a landmark Supreme Court case entitled McGirt v. Oklahoma. The ruling favored Indian sovereignty, which affected the makeup of the state and what stood in the legislature controlled. For once, something went the way of the tribes, but the governor didn't like it, and he spread a bunch of lies and misinformations about the ruling. Chief Gary Batten of the Choctaw Nation has rebutted his rhetoric, but it only goes to show that some Americans still want to control tribal matters. They still want to control land that's supposed to be ours. Another Supreme Court ruling in June of 2022 rolled back some of the sovereignty gained by McGirt v. Oklahoma. So it would appear that Stitt got what he wanted after all. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, at least in Indian Territory, which is what Oklahoma was called before achieving statehood, whites would marry natives to obtain control of their land allotment. Sometimes guardianship was given over an Indian by the court, and it was often white people who were the guardians. They were supposed to act in the best interest of their ward, but they often stole from them, given the resources that they had on their land. So our people and natives have been cheated repeatedly out of what was ours. When you look at all this, there are a lot of things that could be said. But looking at how our people are and have been treated can lead to a sense of bitterness. But here's the good thing. We're living in a time now where the first natives have been voted into Congress, one of whom is currently the head of the Department of the Interior, Deb Holland. 
Then there's the Hulu series Reservation Dogs, which sheds light on living on a reservation, as does the show Dark Winds and also Yellowstone. There's also a very popular model, Quana Chasing Horse. She has traditional facial tattoos, and she exposes the world of fashion to being indigenous. Pogany's generation couldn't have celebrated their identity in this way, so it falls to us to do so. And as a result, a resurgence of pride among many indigenous peoples on the rise. Here's something to consider, though. When you tell people that you're native or that you're Indian, it might be better to say what tribe you are as, a poise, as opposed to the boilerplate disclosure. Anytime I've told someone I'm Native American or Indian, I've often been greeted with a reply of, hey, me too. But most people know very little about their tribe or heritage, and they may in fact have some blood of some tribe in their DNA. But there's more to being it than just a percentage of blood that a person has. In our case, the connection to our people, history, culture, language, and ancestors is a large part of being Choctaw. Tracing our lineage demonstrates our relationship with our people. So when people say that they have Indian blood, they often relegate our identity to theirs. They know somewhere in the past someone was a part of a tribe, but that's all. They have no connection other than head knowledge and maybe physical features. In our area, nearly everyone we meet will say that they have some Cherokee in them. One lady once told me that she's descended from a Cherokee princess. This is something that you often hear. After studying it, Cherokees didn't have princesses per se. There's an affectionate word in the Cherokee language that can be translated as such, but it was a term of endearment that husband used to refer to their wives. So there isn't really indigenous royalty in a sense we might think of the British monarchy. Some white husbands use the phrase of their Cherokee wives to appease racist family members. And these folks with no knowledge of their people or heritage are exactly what Andrew Jackson and others wanted to breed us out of our ways. So for me, being Choctaw is something to be proud of. So rather than losing patience with others, I try only to educate them and tell the story of our people. That's become something of a mission of mine. It's a way to be proud of who I am and make my ancestors proud. They bore the brunt of racism and exploitation, so the very least I can do is honor them by telling the stories and helping people better understand. That's my mission. That's what I wish to do. This is my Choctaw story.